All right, and welcome back to another episode of Tina's Tea. Everybody, very excited for today because I have the amazing Dr. Susan Burns. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. It is my pleasure. Uh, it's absolute my, pleasure. My pleasure. It's truly an honor. Thank you. I've been fangirling about this, and I'll be honest, <laughs> you were the most requested guest. Oh, well, very good. And I don't know, do you know how popular you are on campus? I know that I have great students and great community. That's what I know. They're the best. Yes. But I we have agree. to say you are the best as okay. well. Well. All right. I just want to give everyone a little background from when I was here from freshman year, because me now being a senior, I had a lot of experiences here at the Mount. And you coming in has definitely transformed it. And I know everyone's going to be like, oh, she's such a kiss up. Like, no. <laughs> like, because people can say some stuff and can't yeah. back it up. Okay. But everything we could say about you, we could back it up. Okay. And the one thing that really stood out for me was when I was at the basketball game. And you were, you were literally sitting there watching our home game. And you were streaming the away game. Yes. And when I saw that, I was just like, not every president of no. every college does that. No. You know? Like, you actually have to have to care. Yes, you know? absolutely. And especially, like, um, the Mount, me just being an athlete over the years, the community hasn't been as, you know, together with athletics. Like, it felt more of, like, an outside type of thing. Interesting. And I really think that you've done a great job at kind of bringing the entire campus together because they see the presidents at the games. Yep. They want to come to the games. Yeah, I, I love going to the games, quite honestly. The institutions I've been at prior to coming to the Mount have been of a different athletic conference and approach. Um, they've been NAI instead of NCAA, and they have been um, institutions that have had a higher percentage of student athletes. And so I have thoroughly enjoyed um, supporting student athletes because it's student first, yep. um, athlete second. Absolutely. And most often my experience has been those are the students who are most disciplined about getting their academics done so they can be involved in their athletics. And there's such great community pride yeah. with athletics Absolutely. that I so, so enjoy being a part of that. And you've really changed it because it used to feel like my freshman and sophomore year and then my sophomore year got cut because of COVID. Right. Um, so when before that, it was more of like, a oh, yeah, only the athletes knew the athletes. Yeah. And then now it's become, all right, when the teams win, the campus wins, like yeah. the school wins. Absolutely. It's not just that individual team. Because I saw people posting, students posting that I'm in classes with that have never talked to me. Really? And they're saying hi to me after the games. They're wow. like, wait, just watch your game. And I'm just like, it's amazing how like yeah. one interaction in class can just change it and have them end up coming to your extracurriculars. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's a great way to build community and for people to be a part of something. Absolutely. And whether whether the team wins or loses, yep. um, we're together. Oh, that's absolutely. Yep. That's and that's absolutely how I feel about the dance teams as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I've actually, this year was my first year of me being a, a resident assistant. I like met a, new pe a lot of new people, yeah. a lot of new dancers. Yeah. And they are amazing. Absolutely. They're, there's great community there as well. But I love how the mount just shows up. Absolutely. Um, for each other. And it's just been fantastic. All right. Now let's, let's track back. How did you get here? Dr. Burns. How did I get here? Yep. Let's start, let's start question. from your undergrad. <laughs> okay. Where did you go? What did yeah. you study and how was it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start back even a little bit further than that. You got it. So um, I'm very proud first generation college student. My father has some college, no degree, and my mother did not go to college. And I have two older sisters and one younger sister, no brothers. And my two older, my, my parents were always very supportive of us going on to college. They knew that that would be a ticket to whatever. Yeah. Um, but they also respected that we each had our own life journey. Mm -hmm. And so 
for example, my oldest sister went to court reporting school and was a court reporter for many years oh, before wow. she had kids. And then you don't really hear kids. that a lot. No, no, you don't. <laughs> um, really important job. Yeah. My second oldest sister went to a, a university that was close enough that she could live at home. Mm-hmm. And um, she studied um, English education. Sadly, had a really bad student teaching experience and oh. decided that she did not want to be a teacher. Um, and so she worked for a while, got married, and then had eight kids and wow. stayed home and helped educate her kids. Wow. And so it's um, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I knew I wanted to move away from home yeah. for college. And at the same time, I didn't really know how to look for schools. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted or even to how to articulate what I wanted. You didn't really have like a guide? Someone. Not really, not really. And it wasn't the school that I went to, high school I went to, was a good high school. And again, I just didn't know who to ask or, or what to ask. And so at first I actually thought I wanted to go to a small private Catholic mm-hmm. university that wasn't too far from home, yep. but enough distance that I could be away from home. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't understand the difference between private versus state institutions yeah. and how scholarships were. Well, I didn't because, know either yeah. until I went into it. Yeah. So. And so, um, I applied and got into several schools, thought I was going to go to that one particular school and then the money just didn't work. Yeah. And so, um, very, very late in the game, I decided to apply to Emporia State University and I actually missed deadlines for scholarships, which was tragic because I was a really good high school student. Yeah. Um, but I got some of those scholarships in mm-hmm. my second year. Um, and I went there because some of the other people I knew were going to go there. And it was about an hour away from home. So I could move home and then come home and do laundry if I wanted it's to. the same way I picked them yeah. out. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. And so I did. And um, I knew then that I wanted to do something with psychology. Um, I had taken actually a um, an undergraduate class while I was in high school, intro to psychology, yep. and um, loved it, absolutely mm-hmm. loved yeah. all the different topics, especially yep. the clinical and the abnormal psychology was super fascinating to me. So I went to Emporia State University. It's a mid-sized public institution in Emporia, Kansas, which no one will ever have heard of before and probably won't pass this podcast. Um, it's a, <laughs> a, a small town, yep. small town. And... Um, I started taking a bunch of psychology classes right away, yep. um, poorly advised um, because I did all of my yep. major courses yeah. before I did my general education courses, which is not the way to do it. Don't yeah. do that. Um, but I thought at the time that I wanted to do either clinical psychology or music therapy. I also am a musician. I sing, play the flute, piano, guitar a little bit. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and the more you know. The more you know. And so I um, started taking a lot of music classes and psychology classes and realized that for me to do both music and psychology, I probably would take four, five, maybe six years, depending upon what I, I, how I planned it out. And so I dropped music as a major, but I continued to be involved in all kinds of ensembles. Um, both with flute and you always got to keep that like creative gene going, you know, absolutely encourage it of everyone. Absolutely everyone. Um, and so in my, second year, end of my second year, um, I had the opportunity to go to a psychology conference, fun fact, in New York. It was one of the national conferences. It was the first time I came to New York. That's super cool. And I was the only undergraduate student. How old were you? I would have been, I got to think about this, I would have been probably 19. Wow. 19. Um, The only undergraduate student who went with a a group of graduate students because the school I went to had a graduate program as well. And I, as a 19-year-old with all these people who were over 21, came to, in the big pond. Yeah, came to New York and they all wanted to go and party a little bit. And yep. so I was at the conference the entire time. <laughs> and I actually, oddly, met 
one of the faculty members from my institution at that conference and he yeah. said hey kid what are you doing here <laughs> and I said I'm going to all these sessions I'm learning a lot about psychology and he says when we get back to Emporia Kansas find me let's make sure that you know what you're doing for the rest of your life and yeah. I was like okay. okay that's a big thing to think yeah. about <laughs> and so we came back and I started doing research and I absolutely love doing research and so I got heavily involved in psychology club and psychi and yep. doing research and I was quickly Getting through my undergraduate degree, I actually did my undergraduate degree in three years. Oh, okay, so smarty pants. Well, yep. uh, I knew that there was going to be school ahead of me. Absolutely, and that's so, exactly how I'm thinking too, yep. Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to kind of maximize my time. And Absolutely. so um, when it came time for me to apply to graduate programs, again, I'm thinking clinical psychology, yep. clinical psychology. Yep. And so beautifully, my advisor, my mentor, who I am still connected with today, I adore him, Dr. Steve Davis, I call him Dr. D. Love that. Um, he said to me, great, apply to these PhD programs, um, apply to some master's programs, but why don't you apply to Emporia State's master's in experimental psychology because you like research. And so, yeah. Okay, fine, whatever, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, I started getting rejections from the PhD programs, mm -hmm. um, and thank God I did. Um, and I got into master's level programs for clinical psychology, but it just didn't feel like that was what I should be doing. Yeah. And so I decided to stay for two years at Emporia State and do my master's in experimental psychology because my mentor beautifully convinced me that having more research under your belt would prepare you for a clinical psychology Oh, absolutely. Program. So I did. Um, and I had the opportunity, this Emporia State University is such a great school for many reasons, but their psychology department actually allows their graduate students to teach classes. That's super cool. Yeah. So I graduated technically in August and began teaching two sections of intro to psych in August. That, that's really for, dope to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. For undergraduate students. And so I learned during those two years that I love teaching Yeah. and I love doing research. And so I actually kind of started finding my path really in my master's degree yeah. more so than my undergraduate degree. So from there I applied to graduate programs in a kind of a variety of different um, backgrounds, um, personality and social psychology, some specifically social psychology. I loved social psych with oh. Dr. Rubes. He had a, he was a great class it's with a him. Fantastic topic, um, broad broad topic that yep. I so thoroughly enjoyed. I also applied to a community clinical program just mm -hmm. because I still had some interest in um, clinical. I was accepted to all the programs, but I for lots of different reasons, decided that I wanted to go to Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. Kid you not, they call themselves the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I did my degree in personality and social psychology, and I have an emphasis in development. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do child research, um, and I did do child research while I was there. But I also have background in gender studies. Um, and so it was in that time that I got to really become an excellent researcher yeah. and um, the opportunity to really kind of, again, further define who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. Absolutely. And so at the very end of my PhD, I was teaching, um, again, different undergraduate classes. That's very common at state institutions yeah. that you have graduate students teaching um, undergraduates. And I was teaching general psychology sections of 250 students, which... I'm a bit of an entertainment. Did you have the clicker I, like for attendance? Did you have to do that or did you have to like say, hey? I couldn't take attendance Ooh. because it was such a large class. Yeah, because I know at Penn State, my friends have like the little click thing. Yeah. So they like, and yeah, they don't even know yeah. their professor. I'm like, oh man. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I got to know really quite honestly, it was a lecture hall that um, 
was massive mm-hmm. and I got to know as many students as I could, but I really yeah. couldn't get to know the students. And so I would have students come up to me after class and on campus or in the community, they'd say, hey, I'm in your class. And I'd say, hey, do you go to class? I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. And I knew then that I really didn't want to be at a large institution, even though I could have gone on to do research at a larger institution. I wanted to be at a place where I could get to know my students. I feel like sometimes psych majors can't, they want to work personable like you know they want to be have that because a lot of psych is that interaction like that conversation that personal getting to know somebody and getting their deeper story when you can't it's more of like a a math class or a stats class sort of thing which by the way are awesome classes love i I like (laughs) i'll be honest i did not like math growing up and dr roto made me fall in love with stats yeah yeah absolutely i I often joke that math is not my thing. Stats, totally my thing. Oh, totally I was so surprised. Thing, yeah. I was just like, no way, but yeah. she made it work. I was yeah. like, it's very conceptual. It's yep. very conceptual. So I um, very intentionally applied to just small colleges and universities when I was getting ready to leave my um, degree and beautifully um, ended up at a small college in Sioux City, Iowa called Morningside College. And in some ways, it has similarities to the amount about size. Yeah. Um, but very different in Iowa. Yep. Um, it's right on the corner of Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Okay. So tri-state area. Um, the The community is very much, so Sioux City itself is about probably 85,000 um, people. So small, yeah. like, relatively. That's tiny. Um, and at the same time, that's a big city for so many of the students who are there. That's, that's amazing. That's the big city. And Perception. That's, that's Yeah, absolutely. A big city. Um, because most of those students come from farms yeah. in yep. around the yep. area. And I just so fell in love with the opportunity to get to know my students. And I thought then that I would be a faculty member for my entire life. Yeah. Like, totally thought that that was going to be the thing that I'd do. Because I got to do research. Mm-hmm got to teach, really got to know my students. Yeah. Like I'm still very much connected with those students yeah, today. Absolutely. And so um, my vice president for academic affairs at the time said, hey, Susan, you're doing a great job. And we think that you'd be great working with new faculty. And we have this large crop, 10 new faculty coming on board in a, in a particular year. Would you be their mentor? I said, okay. And I learned then that I loved working with faculty Yeah. because um, I got to have really rich conversations about how do you be a mentor? How do you be someone who cares the right amount? Yeah. Um, And so um, I did that for a few years and then the opportunity to be an administrator opened up at that institution. So I applied for it Mm -hmm. and it was a national search and I was um, blessed to be hired for that position as associate dean for academic affairs. Got to continue to do research and teach and um, be an administrator and really, really enjoyed the opportunity to work with a, an excellent president, an excellent team of vice presidents to learn a lot more about higher education and how small colleges and universities work yeah. and how do you be strategic and innovative. And um, in probably week one or two, quite honestly, as I'm in that new position, the president comes in who he is actually retiring after 22 years wow. at Morningside College this year. Um, he came into my office, he sat down in front of me, he said, Hey, so what's your plan? And I said, I'm learning this job. It's very exciting. I'm going to continue to teach and do research. He said, that's nice. You'll be a college president someday. So what's your plan? And I didn't have words. He put it in the universe. He (laughs) he manifested it. He did. And it's rare for me not to have words, but I didn't have words at that point. And so I said, well, let me learn this job and then we'll talk. And so he continued to provide opportunities for me to be mentored, to be 
um, professionally developed in ways that were really important. So I was in that position for four years, again, continued to teach and do research. Um, and then it was time. It was time for me yeah. to look for what was going to be next. And so I looked again, very, very intentionally for other small college and universities, um, and ended up very, again, fortunate, blessed to be at Clark University in Dubuque, Iowa, which you're like, wow, she likes Iowa. I do like <laughs> Iowa. Um, and it was I've really, never been. So my brother's girlfriend's should. from Minnesota. So I, oh, I, well, I'm trying to get there. You should. Yeah. Minnesota is very different than Iowa, but yep. you should go. Yep. Um, and so I went from one side of the state to the other side of the state. And, and just a fun fact, people think of Iowa, they think very flat. They think corn. Yeah. Um, and that's true. The, the middle of Iowa is very flat and has a lot of cornfields. The parts of Iowa that I lived in um, are river towns mm -hmm. and actually beautiful bluffs oh, and yeah. very hilly and not at all like the flat cornfields that everybody imagines. But I moved from Sioux City, Iowa to Dubuque, Iowa. They're about four and a half, five hours away from What's each other. What's the weather like in Iowa? Um, it's very Midwest, which means yeah. nothing to you perhaps. But um, in the summers, it's fairly mild, um, yep. not too different from New York. Um, the winter's very cold yeah, and a lot of snow, gotcha. a lot of snow. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But it's beautiful. You get beautiful seasons. Um, people there just learn to live with the golden snow. Um, I don't miss that <laughs> quite honestly. I love all the seasons. I, I yeah. love the snowboard. So I, I love the winter. Yes. 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 And, um, Dubuque itself is again, small, smaller than Sioux City, um, about 60,000 people. Wow. And interestingly, um, Dubuque has, I got to think about this for a moment, four, four year higher education institutions, mm -hmm. um, a very large community college, a, um, a couple of different kind of trade schools. And so you think yeah. 60,000 people, that's, that's a lot of education yeah. for that size of institution or size of city. Yep. And it, it, it's a great community, yeah. a really great community about three hours from Chicago. Oh, that's so, my brother's been to Chicago. Yeah. I didn't get to, I missed out on it because they're Blackhawks fans. So they did oh. the road trip with my dad, my two brothers. Yeah. So they had fun. Yeah. It's a very easy drive, very yeah. easy drive from where I live to Chicago. And there's a very small airport that in just, again, a f another fun fact, a very small airport in Dubuque, Iowa, like two gates, um, that <laughs> flies to Chicago. No way. Yeah. Two gates, um, free parking. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you fly to Chicago, wherever you go, you start first in Dubuque and then you go to Chicago. Yeah. Wow. So I became the vice president for academic affairs at, um, Clark university and in, again, fell in love with the students, the culture, the, the community. And I often will say that Clark and, um, the Mount are very different geographically, mm -hmm. um, very different demographically, yeah. but so very similar because they were both founded by sisters. Yep. Um, their dates of founding were very close actually to each other. Um, the Mount is celebrating 175 years kickoff that we're going to be launching this next academic year. It's a big That's celebration amazing. of 175. Yeah. And I experienced that at my last institution as well. They celebrated 175. It seems like you there. have like an attraction of these small institutions I, with like this like really yeah. deep history and culture, which I, I like respect because like a lot, there's so many stories. There's yeah. so much, there's Absolutely. so much, like I want to eventually like, if it's okay with you, renovate yeah. the castle, you know, when okay, I I'll take a check for about $10 million. No, no. excellent. <laughs> Dr. Burns, <laughs> don't count me out. I'm not counting you out. I'm, I, I'm expecting it now. I promise you. I, I mean, will renovate Everyone that. listening, I'm expecting a, a check for $10 million. I, don't, don't, don't sleep. Don't <laughs> sleep. Don't sleep on Christina. I'll do it. <laughs> Tina Town will happen. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's just, it's a beautiful castle. It's a beautiful castle. And we have castle. a castle like that in actually my hometown. Really? And sadly, it like 
they let it go and because nobody nobody had the money to, to rebuild wow. it but like yeah it's it, that's it's in a lot better condition and yeah I, like keep where the structure is right now yeah. it'll be a lot easier to renovate it now than if it were to come tumbling down oh yeah so no absolutely and we are just aside we are maintaining the envelope of the castle making sure that it's it stays structurally oh, I, safe. I went in it looks good it yeah. looks good in there yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. does need work yeah it does absolutely yeah, it works yeah like every other old building that's true the building we're sitting in founders hall continues historical to yeah absolutely absolutely it's so beautiful in here though it is absolutely gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and so yes i am absolutely attracted to institutions the average history history yeah. and even more so institutions who care about their students absolutely and yeah. that has been so central so when I was at Clark University my president at the time said to me I'm not looking to get rid of you um, but I saw this job announcement that when I read it I thought oh my gosh that's Susan and so um, he sent it to me and I read it and I, and I kind of laughed because I was like New York oh my gosh really yep. um, but personally and professionally I was in a moment of where I didn't necessarily have to be location bound and yeah. I really could look for an institution who fit with me personally and professionally yeah, and in mission and values. And so my youngest, um, I have three kids. They're not kids. They cringe every time I call them kids. <laughs> my mom still calls um, those kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my oldest now is, uh, she's 24. She's a social worker. She's doing very well. Lives in Iowa. My middle daughter's graduating from the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yep. Um, this May 21st, same day as the College of Mount St. Vincent's commencement. And yep. then my son is... Um, a sophomore at the University of Northern Iowa studying art. But Noah was getting ready to graduate from high school about the time that this position was um, going to be available. Yep. So kind of like timing. Timing it's was crazy just how that worked really out. perfect. Yep. And um, the interview process, I, so I applied. Yep. And um, the interview process for presidents usually involves first what they call an airport interview where they bring in anywhere between 10 to 15 people that they think that they might have some interested and um, then they narrow from there to some finalists that they bring to campus well my and I can't tell you the exact date but I know that um, they I was contacted and they said you know what there's this pandemic thing going on yeah. and so we're not gonna do airport interview we're gonna just do a zoom interview and so we're sure that that this will be done you know yeah whatever yeah. and so my zoom interview was in March of 2020 the dreaded month. The dreaded month, exactly. And um, obviously that went well. And beautifully, with thanks to Dr. Flynn, who was the president. He really before. did a good job Amazing. with the transitioning. Amazing. Um, he beautifully said to the board that he'd be willing to stay for that extra semester to give the board time and space to continue the search process, yep. to see what the pandemic was going to be like, to potentially bring people to campus for interviews and so yep. forth. And so my interview process, um, not just mine, everybody who, who was involved yep. was eight months long. Wow. And so I kudos to our board. And yeah, absolutely. That's committee. a long time. That exactly. is a long time. <laughs> exactly. And they did a beautiful job of continuing to engage us in conversation, but also understood that we all had full-time jobs otherwise yeah. in a pandemic. And yep. so we did roughly kind of monthly check-ins or things like that where we just continue to have conversations. Yeah. And they continued to narrow the number of people they were interested in interviewing. And then um, when it came time to campus interviews, um, again, still in a pandemic, yep. my um, interview date were set, dates were set, and I said, I'm willing to fly 
um, willing to take that risk because you all have made me fall in love with you. Yeah. And at the same time, I want to be respectful of the fact that per New York state guidelines at that time, I would have had to quarantine for two weeks, which would not have really been possible. And so the board beautifully said, you know what, we can't ask you to do something that we wouldn't want our students or our community to do. And so we hate to say this, but we're going to move your, your full interview to virtual. Mm -hmm. And, um, I said, you know what, I've been spending a lot of time virtually for meetings and so forth. And so that's fine. And so my interview was fully virtual for two full days. Wow. Um, And again, every time I would have any conversation throughout that eight months or during the interview process, I would finish a a Zoom call. I'd I'd say to my husband, you know what? I just feel called to this place. Yeah, absolutely. feel called. Yeah. And um, my husband, beautifully at the time, he's like, New York's kind of far away. <laughs> he had never been to New York. And wow, so wait, really, yeah, oh, yeah. Is he, so he was a little nervous probably, right? He was very nervous yeah, because yeah, yeah. like Midwesterners, yeah. when people think of New York, especially the city, yeah. they think of Manhattan Absolutely. and they really don't necessarily know the beauty of the this. same way they think of Iowa. They think of cornfields. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, when the position was offered to me, my husband and I had really long conversations, um, prior to that offer and he has beautifully followed. We can talk about this if you want to. He's beautifully followed me before. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, we'll go. We'll go. And so I accepted the position before I ever stepped foot on campus. Wow. And we came in October of 2020 to find a place to live. And um, we just absolutely fell in love. I feel like that was like everything happened for a reason. Oh my gosh. I'm a firm believer in that. Firm believer. And I just feel like the campus sees it too. Like the fact that like you mesh here perfectly. Like you've just been so involved. And even my mom's noticed it and she's like not even here. Like just from what I've told you, told her and then from what like she's seen on like everything. Like social media when it comes to the website or just like announcements in general. And even my brother being an alumni. Yeah. The difference from when he was here and he just is mind blown. Like it's just, it's like amazing how... I, I, I kind of ex- sort of see it as like a rebranding of the map yeah, because yeah, you kind sure. of like took it, put it in like a washing machine, boom, mm-hmm. it's like a new fresh look, a yeah. new fresh like atmosphere. I mean, you came up with right place on the river. Well, you know, that, that, that I just have to say, anyone <laughs> who's always willing to listen, I have to tell the story that, <laughs> that that came from my kitchen table, quite honestly. Um, I was preparing for, before the semester begins, we always have all college day for employees yeah. and I was working through my presentation, which was going to be a virtual presentation, which I was not um, in love because I'm meeting this community for the first time, although they'd only met me virtually really at that point. Um, But I was really looking for my, how could I convey to the community that we need to be known? Yeah. We do such wonderful, beautiful things. And so... I said to my husband throughout the interview process, people kept talking about the the mount as this this hidden gem, this hidden gem, and we need to stop being a hidden gem. I was just going to say that. Yep. Yeah. And so I said, um, you know, it's something like, I want to say, you know, we need to stop being the hidden gem on the Hudson, and we need to be the right place on the river. And he's like, yep, that's it. That's where it wow. comes from. My kitchen table, a sitting down <laughs> conversation. Like, it's like opening a fortune cookie. Yeah. And like, that was, oh, yeah, that was, yeah. So, you it's know, awesome. and honestly, I, I wasn't necessarily intending on that to be the thing yeah um when I first said it but people have beautifully just embraced it it, it fits it, yeah. like it works like yeah. when you know something works you yeah. know like it's like a na- naming a kid it's like yeah. when you hear it and yeah. it flows it's the same thing yeah and it's for me it gives space for so many things in that 
it acknowledges this beautiful campus that we yeah. we have the the gift of being on. But also, it's the things that we do, the work that we do together, Absolutely. the ways in which lives are transformed, generations are transformed. That yeah. just it it's something that people need to know. A hundred percent. And so it's been an easy sell. Yeah. yeah, it's an easy sell. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I just like when I explain to my friends because. Um, what, two of my hometown best friends, one goes to Penn State, the other one goes to Catholic University mm-hmm. and like known schools, you know, like big yeah. schools. So when I like explain my school to people, like they're just like, oh, where is that? Yeah. As soon as I say like, oh, the Bronx, they look at me and right. I'm just like Riverdale. And then I look at, they see the campus right? and they're like, oh my God. Wow. Like yeah. they're just like, wait, this is your school? Right. <laughs> and right. Just, this is my school. Yes, yeah. it is my school. And there's just, it here it's like it's weird because I came from my high school is bigger than this school sure which is yeah I had the biggest high school in Connecticut Danbury yeah. Connecticut yeah over 3,000 kids my graduating class was almost 800 kids wow. and I was vice president of my class so I, I made I did my best yeah. to like kind of know everyone that's just sure. who I was like I just want I was always involved and especially with like making our proms and everything like that and I actually helped make um we had girls used to wear the white gowns for graduation oh, and boys sure. used to wear blue yeah. We had a lot, a couple issues with students wanting to like, you know, identify as certain genders and want to wear a certain color. So I made all the gowns blue with like a new engraved. We went and I worked with the, um, with the whole administration. We went through like five different ones and there was a little backlash on the PTO. When I tell you the parents were more upset than the students. Oh, I'm sure. I'm not surprised by that at all. And it was, it was very tough because my town in Danbury, very diverse. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the Bronx, to yeah. be honest. You have little Italy, you have little Brazil, you have little Portugal, all my town, 50 different languages being spoken in my high school. Wow. Uh, we used to get teased compared to like, like when we would play sports and stuff by like the other towns of Connecticut, just ignorance and things like sure. that. You know, it's high school, it yeah. happens. Um, but that's what I think brought our community even closer was how diverse it was, which yeah. made us like, all right, like everybody knew everyone, everyone, mm-hmm. we always like, we won together. It was, it was that kind of vibe as well. Yeah. And I really think that's what drawn like drew me here because my even though my brother went here, I was so bound to I'm not following my brother. Yeah, sure. I'm not doing it. I'm <laughs> not doing it. I'm being my own person. And then I applied here for nursing, got in. I got a I got into Mount St. Mary, the other side yeah. of like on the other river too. You know not, what I mean? Not the right place. Not the right river. place though. The other place. <laughs> it's the other place on the river. <laughs> so it was great school yeah, though, beautiful. Of course, but here, of course. It's just it was something different. And then yeah. when I found out that I like fell in love with psych, the the faculty here, like it, yeah. it just it's it's just so like high like they know you yes and they care yeah absolutely that's part of the reason why um when when i talk to prospective students i say if you want to be a number don't come here and when i talk to students here i say that you know sometimes and i found this at other small colleges and universities as well sometimes students feel like they've gotten a good education but their education won't be able to compete with you know larger institutions that always knows yep but they don't understand here that your faculty know you and can write fantastic letters of recommendation. Shout out Dr. Voto and Dr. Lawler. Thank Absolutely. You. And they can be that amazing reference. And they're going to be people who you stay in contact with the rest of your life. Absolutely. They're really important people. And I saw when I was at Kansas State University, I saw, saw students go up to my major advisor and say, you know, I've taken five classes with you. Can you write me a letter of recommendation? And he'd look at them and say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And like, they've taken five classes, but all of them have been large lecture classes. And so, yes, somebody, maybe not here, but somebody from the Midwest would say, oh, Kansas State University, it's a really good school. And yet they, and you get the education you make of it. That's true at small colleges too. Absolutely. But it's harder. It's much harder. Mm -hmm. Um, My younger sister went to Kansas State University as an undergrad. And... 
she kind of like you at your high school really like made an intentional effort to be seen to be known to be engaged she was involved in athletics she was on the row team and so really made a good experience but I saw so many students just get lost really get lost and it's really hard to do that at places like the mount absolutely where people care deeply um very very much and it's it's such a great feeling because i feel like college is what you make it because when you're sitting in your you could sit in your dorm and play xbox Mm -hmm. your entire go to class come back the entire four years like that's if you want to do that you can do that but then there's other students here they're like oh like yeah it's kind of boring here sometimes and i go I'm busy every day. I'm doing something every day with somebody else. Like if it's someone that I just met in one class, someone I've just talked to in the calf, like it's the interactions. I feel like a lot of people don't go out of their way to interact with people they have classes with because they could have, even if it's a versus a commuter and a resident. Yeah, A lot of the residents know each other more because they're living with each other. And commuters feel like outsiders Mm -hmm. when they shouldn't, you know, like they should be, feel just as confident to make these relationships with residents and yeah. vice versa because i feel like you get a different perspective oh, but also absolutely. you can like in like try to encourage them to get more involved in campus as well yeah and i would say i was just telling someone earlier today that um i feel like we do commuter support well yeah here at the mount i this is the first place i've been that has had commuter assistance yeah. like residence yep. assistance yep um that very intentionally tries to give space to engage commuters absolutely. as well but it, you're absolutely right it, you you make of it what you make of it. And so if you want to be at a small college and only interact with your faculty, when you go to class, that, that can happen, yeah. but it's, it's harder to get lost. It's much harder to yeah. get lost, whether you're a commuter or a resident student. Absolutely. Um, but that's part of the reason why, again, I, I felt so very much called to this institution because not only is it hard to get lost people like, again, genuinely authentically care about the community yeah absolutely and so just this morning as I was walking in I saw a student who was not that clearly was something not right with the student Mm -hmm. and um two staff came up to that student what's going on you know are you okay are you okay let's talk about this what's going on yep and it was just again amount interaction yeah that's that's what happens this is a simple Mm -hmm. conversation and I've really like learned because I was at the dog park over spring break just hanging with my dog Mm -hmm. and I met this lady and she I 60 years old and she looked 25 she looked gorgeous mind you she does do facials and all that stuff so she takes great care of her skin and we were just having an open conversation about like she lives alone and she's thinking about going out and dating and trying that but she has really bad anxiety and and everything like that and I'm just talking to her about my anxiety and like I tell her my story and everything and she tells me like like thank you for being so transparent like nobody I'm not able to talk to anybody like this and then from that interaction I realized like people will be open when yeah. you're open with them first. Absolutely. Like people think that like, especially now you can't talk about things, right? You know? And it's like, well, if you can talk about how you broke your leg, why can't you talk about how this situation made you anxious? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pleased that, and I will say your generation is doing a much better job at that. Um, and I have, when my husband and I um, were raising our kids, we were very, very intentional about being always very open with our yeah. kids and, and giving space for those kinds of conversations. Lots of different kinds of conversations, some of which were ones that you don't typically talk to your parents about. Yeah. And um, I saw with my my kids, their willingness to be more open with their friends yeah. and community and so forth. And I just, again, kudos because even, even though I'm not that much older than you all, I am older than you all. You look good. Um, thank you. Uh, but I think that my generation was like any kind of mental health conversation was something that 
was not to be shared. I, and I still have friends from high school who have come out. It's in that funny yeah. to say it that way. Yep. Not, not to talk about sexual orientation, but come out with, yeah. with mental health Everything. challenges. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And it's still, I think part of it, the, the desire to hide is still a function of who's going to judge me. And, um, our parents' generation, you know, was more about we don't talk about those things yeah. and showing any kind of sign of mental health challenge or concern is a sign of weakness. Yep. And you just, you turn it off and you don't talk about it yep. and you just get through. Mm-hmm. And to that generation's credit, they did a lot yeah. of that. They did Absolutely. a lot of that. Yep. Um, and so when it, whenever anybody says to me, you know, there are so many more cases of anxiety, depression, and you know, whatever. Um, I just smile because there's not more cases. Yep. It's just that people are much more open about talking yeah, like about we it weren't, now. They weren't, yeah. they weren't talking about it. They weren't no. diagnosing it. They no. weren't giving treatments for it. They, no. they were putting people in institutions for being gay. Exactly. Like that was a mental illness. That Absolutely. was in the DSM-5 was as a yeah, mental illness. In the DSM, yeah. And yeah. now you see where we are now. Yeah, and it's so fascinating. Um, thank goodness for progress. Really Absolutely. Sincerely. In thank everything. For I mean, progress. look, you're a woman and president of a college. Yeah. How, yeah. how many years ago would that have not been a, like, you know what I mean? That would yeah. not have been possible. It would at the Mount because the Sisters of Charity founded us and they had sisters taking leadership. Absolutely, but, but not those, the Mount. Not, other schools? Yeah, no, absolutely. And even even in that time, the sisters were, original sisters were called deans and not presidents yeah, because yep. of the absolutely. patriarchy yep. Um, yep. of that as yep. well. So, Actually, yeah. I knew that. I learned that from the sisters when I worked in the convent yeah, yeah. Um, as a CNA. I yeah. heard so many great stories oh, from them. Like you, I would just... I, Anytime you get the chance to talk to one of the sisters, you should ask her to buy her lunch. Just yeah. sit down and buy her lunch. Absolutely. Whoever it is, if they, because there's oh. so many rich stories, really so rich stories. many, yeah. and it's just so interesting just to hear about it and the differences between now and then. And I actually had a question for you, yeah. um, in terms of like, do you think that you, the stereotypes and all the negative connotations towards mental health back, like you know, in older generations, do you think that was because like there was less research or do you think people genuinely just didn't want to talk about it? Uh, probably a combination of both. Um, in that, so people really, again, didn't want to talk about it because it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. But if you think back to early days of talk therapy or early days of, of any kind of acknowledgement, there was really just like a lack of understanding, yeah. you know, that, that we didn't know why. And if certainly didn't understand the body role, yep. the, um, the, genetics and um physiology and all of that kind of stuff we really didn't we still learn that or still every day today exactly but um i think it really probably was more a sign of weakness except for if you were um white very rich and had the ability to to have space to have mental health challenges then maybe you know it would be okay yep um and I should also add woman because men didn't have problems, of course, Never. at that time. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And so, again, I think we just didn't know yeah. um, and were ashamed um, to have those kinds of conversations. Absolutely. And again, like it still is something that... Oh, especially where you go like geographically yeah. as well. Oh, absolutely. Very different. I would say very different in the Midwest. And even in Iowa, I'll pick on Iowa for just a moment. On one side of the state that I lived on... Um, it was again a lot of farmland community and mm-hmm. Sioux City, Iowa, where yeah. I was at in Morningside College, was was the big city, and so um, there was not as much openness to talking about those types of things. There yeah. was some, but not as much as when I moved to Dubuque, Iowa, at Clark University, 
and being so much closer to Chicago. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. made, it just made a world of difference. Yep. And so there was more openness, but still hesitation. Very different yeah. in the Midwest than it is probably in the Northeast and New York and so forth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. New York is... I, I love New York just for that reason because yeah. my uncles lived in Astoria for 30 years. So I've been coming to the city since, and being in Danbury right on the border. It, I'm blessed that it's like right there. So yeah. like there's friends that like, oh, I have to drive this amount or I have to fly. And I'm like, nope, I've been coming here. Right. Like, just happened on the yeah. highway with my dad, just parents and the train even too. Yeah. And I just like the community of New York in general, like it's just so diverse. It's so diverse. It's, and it's it, fantastic. And I feel like that welcoming just makes everybody yeah. even more able to talk about things. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely um, accurate. And I would say it's so interesting. I, I, I am always interested in learning the perceptions people have about Midwesterners yeah. um, here. And in the Midwest, I think people from the Northeast, from New York, from the Northeast, assume that Midwesterners are very nice, uh, very nice people. Um, and we are, but there are people who are jerks in the yeah, Midwest as everywhere. well. Yeah. But I think that um, the culture there is to be very friendly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I joked with some people in admissions when I first moved here. I said, when you walk past somebody, you say, hello, good morning, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, on campus, not in the city. Yep. Okay. And I said, so when I'm driving, like, I can't just wave at people. <laughs> they're like, well, I wouldn't do that. And like, we do that in the Midwest. Like, that's a thing. You yeah. just wave at people. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. Um, but the culture of friendly and the culture of nice is very interesting when you put with it that we don't talk about problems. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not true across the board. It's a stereotype. But um, here I've learned that, again, some of the most authentically wonderful, kind people in this community who may never stop to wave at you or say hi, yeah. you know, off campus. Although on campus, people are really good about greeting each other and, yeah. and interacting. But are really open to learning more about you and having those kinds of conversations. And Absolutely. I do think that diversity has a huge role in it, but you can be diverse in a diverse community and not be very inclusive. And 100%. I think that the Mount has been such a beautiful expression of inclusion. Oh yeah. We have clubs for everything. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My husband and I went to the talent show and we were talking about some of the student organizations and there are organizations here that I have never seen at any other campus. Right? It's, it's just amazing. fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah, super it's cool. And it's like, I love how being like, you know, at a Catholic university that's, you know, private, you have LGBTQ clubs, yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you have black student union clubs, you have Republican clubs, you know what I mean? Conservative, yeah. you have all, everything. You have it all. Yeah. Every single athletes, non-athletes, commuters, yeah. residents, everything. Yeah. And you know, you have those who are in music but, yeah. and the conservatory, that, the conservatory. Is, that is really yeah. big. I was actually super excited. And one of my friends that's a senior was actually sad because she played an instrument and yeah. she's like, and yeah. I'm like telling her, I was like, well, you can come back. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, we, Absolutely. like everyone's like, oh, we're graduating. I'm like, yeah, but we, we're coming coming back like you can I'm come coming back, back. Yeah, like, you know absolutely. what I mean yeah absolutely the conservatory that that looks I played violin and yeah and my brothers played viola I played cello for a little bit my mom was very she wanted us to play Excellent. instruments and everything so important oh, so yeah. important yeah it's in different language you know what I mean it, it is and it act activates another part yeah. of your mind as well yeah. so my yeah. mom was my mom's very big and like little Einstein when we were kids and oh very us, good for her we've <laughs> been to every art museum except for the Guggenheim so yeah. she, she were trying to get there yeah so. yeah you should get there too yes of course oh yeah now the conservatory is uh something that I, I've said is a kind of a pet project in that I'm yeah. a musician and it's we need really, music. We, music it's we, such an important needs part. Music. Yeah. Yeah. So even when I decided I wasn't going to do music as an academic, you know, discipline, it was something that I continued to do. Um, I did music ministry f since I was like 10, eight, nine, 10, something like that. And it was something that through my adult, adult life have been involved with. And so finding ways to engage, helping people 
really use those different parts of their brain to help them really use that different kind of expressions really yeah. important. And in context of mental health, finding ways to express yourself in different Absolutely. ways. It's really powerful. I think people put themselves in a box yeah, a lot yeah. of times. And a lot of it is because, you know, their parents put them in a box. Right. And yeah. then as soon as they're able to get out of that box, go to university, go to college, yeah. they expand themselves. Because I, I can be honest, from freshman year to now, 100% character yeah. change. Yeah. Like, like I just, I feel mentally and physically just different. Yeah. But for the better, yeah, you know, no, just absolutely. from the amount. I've always loved school. Yeah. So that's just like the nerd in me. But like, being able to come to like a college and learn what you want to learn. And right. like, even now I'm narrowing it on even closer in grad school. It, yeah. It's been so fun. Like, it, like learning has been enjoyable. Yeah. You so know? you studied psychology. And so my yep. guess, like myself, you probably started with the understanding that psychology is just about those kind of clinical things and like the brain, the brain. Exactly. And so have you learned that psychology is much more diverse than that? Oh, of course. Even after taking my social psych class, yeah. like yeah. when I found out about like, your bystander effect is psychology. Like Absolutely. Like there's the way people conform in societies where it's like wearing, acting, oh, like hairstyles, yeah. all of that is psychology based and nobody understands yeah. and knows that until they learn it. Yeah. One of my favorite um, things that I learned about psychology when I was an undergraduate, I had no idea that psychologists were part of the development of like the control panels in a cockpit because that's human factor psychology, how humans interact with machines. I was like, what, yep. what is that? Yep. That is so fascinating. It's or industrial organizational psychology where you can apply psychological principles to the workplace and have yep. a better workplace. It's fantastic. Yep. I always joke too, when um, people ask me my academic background, I say I'm a psychologist, but I, when my kids were little, they would say, my mom's a doctor, but she's not the fixing kind. <laughs> and then they'd say, well, she's a psychologist, not the fixing kind. So I'm not the fixing kind. I'm not that that kind of psychologist but um I will say that even not as that kind of psychologist over the years I've used a whole lot of psychology in the work that I do oh um, yeah my mom's already yelling at me to stop psychoanalyzing everyone when yeah. I'm home and I'm like I'm like I'm like wait on yeah, it I'm that like, won't go away no that that's what I told away. her I was yeah. like if anything it's just gonna get worse yeah yeah absolutely. and then eventually I'm gonna have the degree to actually give you a diagnosis uh, yeah yeah don't diagnose your family I would never yeah, I would never I would send them to somebody you know who I find is qualified yeah, enough absolutely <laughs> I was talking about if my brother becomes president which I, he probably will eventually yeah. that like I would see Mount which, made yeah 100 yeah. yeah. I'll see what publisher wants my book yeah you know the more money, I'm like I'll expose a Joe I was like watch out <laughs> every time I'm, I can threaten it I'm just like doctor I'm yeah. gonna put it out there yeah gotta be, gotta be careful 100% Absolutely. but I love being the only site because my younger brother's engineer he's yeah. building robots learning Fantastic. how to do all the codes and stuff wonderful and interesting enough he had a learning disability and was diagnosed with that in yeah. middle school, almost failed out of seventh grade. Wow. And he ended up being a high honor student, graduating high school mm -hmm. high honors. And now he's going to, and got into an engineering program. That's fantastic. You know, so it's like when I see that, say my mom had not intervened or my mom oh, would have yeah. said like, no, you're fine. Nothing's yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I think about that sometimes mm -hmm. because like early interventions important with so many disorders, yeah, especially absolutely. when it comes to autism spectrum, when it comes oh, to any huge. of those too, because a lot of parents generational wise, say no my kid's fine yeah well they they may say their their kid's fine or they may say my kid's different yes um yep. but not put a label on it and i i, I get the challenge of labels Absolutely. i get it totally get it yeah. and i especially get it in the context of um talk about gender for a moment when girls in particular are are misdiagnosed and get yeah. the wrong label yep. and um I have a good friend from college whose daughter for years was being misdiagnosed and ultimately was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Yep. And it was like, oh my gosh, the different kinds of medications that she took Absolutely, or the yep. interventions they used or all kinds of different things that it, it was a process that had her mother not said, okay, we've got to figure this out. Yeah. That my goodness, her kid would have been 
different, but not supported. Yeah. And really it's again, the, the, the world changing such that, or at least in the States or portions of the States changing such that we can have those conversations yeah. really important. Yep. Really, really and important. And I think it really did a great thing too when they, when the DSM changed it to autism spectrum, right? Because it is a spectrum, yeah. you know, oh, you have high functioning spectrum. autism, Absolutely. you have low functioning and people also, I think misconstrue the fact that that doesn't mean they didn't necessarily have low intelligence. No, either. no, not at like, all. There's totally difference between yeah. like, you know, intellectual, like those types. Right. And Absolutely. then like, cause you have autism, you have savants, yeah, you know, Absolutely. you have the ones that could literally play the piano from yeah. birth, you yeah. know, like you, they, are geniuses and yeah. some and I look at that and I'm just like well they have skills like people yeah. don't realize like a lot of it is just interpersonal and conversational skills they just don't yeah. know how to just hi how are you have they right. don't, don't know how to do that they don't know how to read cues right right and I would have um, I would have to say that there are people who believe your generation don't know how to read cues because you're attached to your phones I'm not saying you personally no, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um that there there are beliefs that that's one, another reason why I love the mounts that you're forced to have these kind of conversations, interactions yeah. in ways that if you go to a larger institution that you can not yeah. have those kind yep. of conversations. And, and I'll be so, honest with you. Yeah. I really only see myself having like deeper conversations with people who are also good at conversating yeah. and or older adults. Like I work yeah. at a firm and I was the youngest and the second yeah. youngest, she was 31. Mm -hmm. So I'm the 21 year old just walking around the office, yeah. but they're like all my second moms. I'm having right. conversations with all of them. All right. the attorneys are treating me like, like their own. There's no hierarchy in yeah. the office I work at. So I'm having, and even when it comes to me working at the grocery store, I worked at all yeah. the older cashiers that are there, like they left retirement because they were bored at home and they right. came back, yeah. you know, so I'm there working with yeah. them and the high schoolers are at school. So I'm best friends with this 55 year old, like, you That's know, 75 year old, and it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. There's no, yeah. but, but I feel like I've always been able to conversate better with those older. Maybe, yeah, sure. it's, maybe it's because my family, the way I grew up, we were just, my mom taught us how to, you right. know, to be like that because That's like huge. people's important. Yeah. Like having conversations, being able to talk to a random person sitting next to you mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. That's, that is huge. And, um, my, my kids will say to me, thanks for making us have small talk with all those different <laughs> people. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Literally. Because that's, that's an important kind of characteristic that hundred percent that again, places like the mount, the mountain in particular really give space for that yeah. in ways that I think are really important. And again, not suggesting that people aren't still attached to their phones on campus. That's yeah. of course a thing. Um, yeah. And at the same time, we try to, to provide those kinds of opportunities. Absolutely. Um, that's really important. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always been the chatty Cathy in, in school and then, but like I've always loved school. So I was always a great student and everything like that. Then when, it wasn't until I really started my nine to five job at the firm yeah. when I realized that like, I kind of felt like I had this kid energy still. Um, yeah. I was like, I'm getting in my twenties and I can't turn my brain off. Like yeah, it just feels like I'm wired. Mm -hmm. So I ended up like talking to my therapist and that was when I was diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. But that's when we went back and my behavior when I was younger, she's yeah. telling me, explaining all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, cause my brother had the inattentive subtype. Okay. I have more of the hyperactive subtype, as you could probably tell. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> just, a, just a tiny bit. A little bit. My mom <laughs> calls me passionate. Yes. That's, I would agree. I would absolutely agree. <laughs> you know, but then I like, I see it as I'm turning this into, uh, I'm going to use it to my advantage. Yeah. That's the thing that, um, often I think people don't talk about mental health because there's an assumption that they're broken yeah. and there's beauty in that as well. And not without challenge. I don't want to suggest that hooray, a person's depressed, then they can make that beautiful. No, no I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, people should get help that they need, but it doesn't have to be a character flaw that, mm -mm. that defines you. Not and that's, all. that's what I so appreciate about, again, your generation. I'm hoping the generations that follow that it's a, okay, it's another part of who you are. This yeah. complex, beautiful being that you are, that's a part of it. Yep. And 
now we can look back at over your lifespan and see the different ways that it's expressed itself across your lifespan. And I remember seeing girls in middle school having anxiety and depression issues and celebrating being like six months from self-harming. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, like I'm, I missed the thing. Like I missed the window of mental health issues. Like I'm okay. Like I remember that. I'm like, and then I would think to myself, like, how are these girls this upset? Like we're in middle school. Like what's there to be upset about? Then we cut to freshman year I lose my no-no first like real law family loss then I'm starting college new environment new people Mm -hmm. so add that into transitioning into nursing so then after my freshman year I realized I didn't want this anymore the stress kind of like all happened for a reason definitely moved to psych fell in love with it but it wasn't until I dealt with not wanting to leave the house because I was so anxious or feeling like suicidal because my depression was so bad and I was thinking to myself well I didn't feel like this before Mm -hmm. I feel like this now which means that I will not feel like this forever right because there was a time where I didn't feel like this yeah and I'm thinking to myself well if that happens then you can't just like label somebody as having depression for their entire life no yeah no it's definitely even someone who has severe depression there there are ebbs and flows even in a low and again, helping people understand that's really important. Yep. It's really important. And they learn coping mechanisms too. Like ther- and people always say like no to medication, but a lot of the medications such as SSRIs are mm-hmm. already, they're giving you what your brain normally is supposed to produce. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I, it's all just to help. Right. It doesn't it. solve the problem. No. That's, that's the, again, I didn't teach abnormal psychology, but would teach general psychology and or introduction to psychology and talk about how it's not going to solve the problem. Nope. It's going to bring you to a functioning level. And that's a process too, finding the right medication and finding two, three exactly. years to really be mentally healthy in yeah. my eyes to actually feel the way I was, but it was work every day. Yeah. Cause every and, day. And I would say too, that that work's not done because nope. you will change, your body will change, your chemistry will change. Absolutely. And it's not something that great. You find something that's working and that means that that's going to be it for the rest of your life. It's, it's much more complicated. And again, for not, I think it's important that we say men have similar challenges that, and to some extent, again, my, my gender studies background will say more challenges because it's even less accepted in their, their gender to talk about their issues or to find help for their issues. But absolutely men's chemistry is very different than women's chemistry and yep. finding that right medication, finding that right dose. And for those people who think medication is not the way they want to go, then find something, hundred percent, find something 100%. that's going to work for you, those coping skills and, and easier said than done. Yeah, really absolutely. And I feel like now done. with the transition to virtual therapy, I yeah. feel like it's a lot more comfortable for some people because they had that, that stigma of, Oh, I don't want to be seen at the therapist's yeah. office. I don't want to be seen going, right. or maybe I might see someone, but now it's like you could sit in bed. Yeah. Sit anywhere in your room, yeah. anywhere in your house where you feel comfortable. Yeah. And you can sit and talk. Yeah. No, it's it's a gift of the pandemic, I would say, for sure, that people have had to think differently about how they how they receive support, how they seek support and, and such as well. I will say I'm I'm probably a little bit old school when I'd say that at some point that they're gonna have to move past that virtual oh, and get sure. out of the house and try to Absolutely. enter into the world. But oh, yeah. I, it's a, I know for so many people, a lifesaver, literally a lifesaver. I feel like it's a lot better because say you're someone that's doing a nine to five in the office. Now, instead of having to leave the office, right. you could take a quick hour, go yeah, upstairs yeah, to a separate absolutely. room. And I feel like that might allow more people to seek out therapy because I feel like people, especially in those types of jobs, don't think that they'll need therapy. Right, right. They think, oh no, only police officers or uh, right. EMTs or doc, ER doctors or people that are yeah. in traumatic scenarios and traumatic jobs experiencing these 
will need it. But oh, it's like, it's, I'm a student. Yeah. Like we're students and yeah. students have mental health issues. Absolutely. So no, it absolutely. could be anything. It, absolutely. Absolutely. It could be anything. So I had a question for you. Sure. How was your mental health throughout undergrad and grad in your career? Yeah. So I would say that I, I, am, I am blessed um, in many ways that I did not have serious struggles. I have a sister who has... Um, what now probably would be diagnosed as seasonal affective disorder, um, who really kind of struggled with depression. And I always felt very fortunate. And I would say that um, the way that my mental health played out in undergraduate and graduate, I'm a, this may surprise you, a very driven person. Um, and a per, very no. goal, yeah, I know, right? Uh, very goal oriented. And um, I would say in my younger days, especially earlier undergraduate into graduate school, I was very much a perfectionist very much a perfectionist and very hard on myself yeah. when things did not go perfectly. Um, so my parents never put pressure on me to be a certain thing or act a certain way or get a certain grade. They yeah. always said to us, us kids, they said, you know, as long as you're trying your hardest, if your hardest um, is a C, then we're proud of you. Yeah. And so I didn't have that family pressure, but um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think part of it's just maturation, part yep. of it's prefrontal cortex development yep. that at some point you you settle into yourself yeah. um but that that probably was the biggest challenge that I had that that not being perfectionist and not trying I I had a harder time younger um I wanted to say yes to everything yeah um and I felt like if I was going to say no it wasn't a fear of missing out it was a fear of disappointing people I was the same way and I've, yeah. I've been the same way and I'm still working on yeah. that to just to put more time for myself yeah and that's tough and I would say that even early in my career I said yes to everything and I'm and I'm really pleased that I had all of those different opportunities. Yeah. Really happy that I got to learn more about myself because I said yes to so many things. Um, and that's, that's hard. That's really hard to find. What do you say no to? And how do you find the, the comfort of saying that's okay? Yeah. That's really okay. Yeah. And so it's easier for me to say, don't overcommit yourself than to me actually not overcommit myself because yep. I just want to make sure that, that I'm not disappointing or yeah. that I'm not um, leaving a space where people could benefit from me being involved or yeah. me being um, there. So yep. yeah, I would say that, yeah, perfectionism definitely. That yeah. informs some of the research that when I was a early student, early graduate student, um, gosh, this has been a long time ago, um, got involved in some different research groups that were looking at perfectionism and yep. religiosity and mm -hmm. um, politics and things like that. Yeah. They're just really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Until I stuff. took research methods with Rubes as well. Uh, no, with, sorry, with Dr. Berger. Love her. Yeah. Um, that's when I, I really got into research as yeah. well because the interesting correlations between certain things, even oh, though a lot of them, you can't say it causes right, this, right. but how close and how yeah. like, you know, you can say that there's a possibility that Absolutely. one could influence the other in a lot of different things. You, you wouldn't expect it at all. Yeah. And yeah. it makes me sad because, you know, unless you're like a psych major, you're doing these things, you don't see it. Right. So right. it's like when you see like on the media, you know, Will Smith smacking, you right. know, it's like, well, you know, you had all these other important things going on, Absolutely. Like, but people aren't going out and finding the information on themselves, which I think is, that's how important I think university and college yeah. is because it's more of exploration. Gives you that, that curiosity yeah. that fosters curiosity yeah. and fosters the desire to continue to learn more. Yeah, yep. absolutely. One of the things that I loved as a, being a faculty member is that the institution I was at required all of their psychology majors to do a senior thesis. And, um, 
I sponsored so many different senior thesis projects that I researched with students things that I never would have ever, ever asked questions about. One of my favorites that the student actually went on and and she presented it at local, regional, national, and then published it was on research of how do soap operas, um, viewing soap soap operas affect your own relationships. And of course Mm -hmm. it has an effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It has an effect. And so it just, I never would have asked that question. I never would have been interested in researching it, but helping students ask questions that they're interested in. It was yeah. so cool. And I know that our faculty is the same. They say, what are you interested in? What do you want to know? Oh, yeah. Let's research it. Let's find out more. That was my capstone. Yeah. It was like, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I ended up doing mine on, um, is there student achievement? Uh, is there a correlation between student achievement and those with ADHD? Yeah. Because I thought it was so interesting because I'm on my soccer team. Five or six of us have ADHD yeah. and we're very good at soccer. Absolutely. And like academically as well. And I'm thinking to myself, why do people re- like just put, ADHD with kids that don't do well in school or need all these accommodations because even though some do need accommodations that doesn't mean they're stupid no not at all not at all and and it just means that they just don't have this their brains just not it's like the same thing when they have stimulant medication absolutely people think oh no it's an advantage right it's gonna Mm -hmm. ramp them up no No, it it actually calms them it's calming them down and giving them something (laughs) that they don't naturally are able to do and it's like for example like when I first got prescribed Adderall I calmed down yeah yeah and I was able to sit down without having any background noise and do work and I was thinking to myself, like how you were saying about mm-hmm. how you get frustrated if you didn't like I was the same way. Yeah. I'd cry if I didn't bring my homework to school. I would get super upset if yeah. my project wasn't perfect or things like that. And then I cut to how I was so hard on myself, not knowing that it was my own brain that right. was making it tough for me to mm-hmm. continue these to f- do this stuff. And I ha- my my mom considered it behavioral issues when I was at home, but sure. only because I was so focused at school, my ADHD brain was oh. no longer allowed to yeah. when I got home. So yeah. my mom's asking me, go take a shower, go right. do this, go that, I'm not listening. Right. You know? So then my mom's thinking that I'm just a behavior, yes. I'm good at school and bad at home. Right. And then I get older, cut to now I'm getting, it, that was probably the biggest like weight off my shoulder was getting a, a name. Cause I feel like when you, when diagnoses, yes, can yep. be, you know, impactful in a negative right. way. In a positive way though, it gives you a name yep. and a reason for everything that's been happening your whole life. And you're just like, wow, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I think I shared with you a, a student of mine from when I was a faculty member, um, incredibly intelligent, incredibly intelligent and did her undergraduate was, I think if not 4.0, n- very near 4.0, yep. studied psychology, went on, got a master's degree, um, in, clinical psychology and then she went on and got her PhD in clinical psychology and just a couple of years ago so she's got to be in her mid-30s now um a couple years ago she contacted me she said you'll never believe this I was diagnosed with ADHD and I said really I'm she didn't have hyperactive that was not a part Mm -hmm. of of her um her behavior or being and she said I I was just so frustrated. Her husband is a counseling psychologist. And so um, they actually both are doing case notes and things like that at home. She's like, I was always so frustrated because he could do his notes so much faster than I could. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And she said, so somebody at her work said, have you ever been tested? She's like, oh, come on. You know, that's not me. She was tested, went through the whole process and is now taking medication. She's like, I get my stuff done and it's amazing, amazing. And I never, personally, I would have never guessed it. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think women are underdiagnosed um, as well or misdiagnosed. Agreed. Um, because we expect little boys to be, you know, hyperactive yeah, if they're going to show Throwing anything. a chair, exactly. here, put them on Ritalin. Exactly. And um, I think 
young girls are are just expected to cope differently, to express differently. Blames on hormones, period, puberty. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I think that, I hope that in the future we'll see more clarity in catching these things much younger um, than than older, but hooray that we're catching them older yeah. um, as well. So, And I feel like now, because um, that's, uh, that's eventually what I want to research in and get, like, that's, that's great. what I want to do so bad because that when I wrote my uh, capstone paper and I saw that there wasn't that much research on, like, some of the studies for ADHD was just on boys. Yeah. Oh, and I'm looking at A lot at of the it, early like, research, for sure. 100%. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, well, that's where it went wrong because they yeah. first, they only stuck to boys. And, you know, the fact that it was first diagnosed in boys as well yeah. is really what... Yeah, kind of laid the ground that it's only in boys. Yeah, it's kind of a history of psychology, though, that yep. a lot of the research was on yep. men, yeah. um, boys and men. Which and is interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the history period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just assuming that then it, of course, translates to women. Well, we know that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, so. it's true. Yep. Yeah. Uh, psychology is super interesting. Yeah, and and I, you can, I, I know as soon as I met you, I knew you were like a psych major because <laughs> I feel like psych majors can always tell other psych yeah, majors yeah. just by talking to them. Yeah. It's just a different, even sociology majors too. Like I'm a yeah. social minor and yes. people can like tell yeah. and I'm just like, I kind of love that. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, there's definite, um, I think what draws people to psychology, not all psychologists because again, the psychology, field of psychology is so yeah, like the data ones who don't, don't want to interact with exactly. anybody and just want to look at like or numbers. animal researchers like yep. during my master's um my one of my this wasn't my I was a graduate teaching assistantship but I um assistant but I also had kind of this side hustle gig mm-hmm. where I was um responsible for helping take care of the rats too wow yeah yeah so there are people who want to do rat research yeah. and great good for them but I think a lot of times when people are drawn to psychology is because they are fascinated by people yeah, and wanting to know more about people and yeah. wanting to try to understand, explain why we do what we do. I think yeah. that, that that draws people. Oh, when, when, I, when I was in, when I was in abnormal psych with Dr. McCullough, what drew me was after experiencing, this was one, and I took his class right after I started experiencing my symptoms of anxiety oh, and yeah. depression. So when we're learning about anxiety and I, I keep hearing about all this like negative crap and mm-hmm. I'm just looking at it like, no, like a lot of it, I'm just like, yeah, it can be bad, but it just, it makes it seem like it's always going to be bad. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like that, that's not the case. And uh, a way, like it looks like, first of all, abnormal, like right. abnormal is, right. it's nothing, it shouldn't be abnormal. Right. You know what I mean? Like just because something in your brain isn't the yeah. way it should. Right. Doesn't mean that yeah. it can't go back to the way it was or that it's a, a negative thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so many disorders, you know depending on how the severity is and how like it affects their well-being sure. and you know how they can do like just live their lives a lot of times people are able to return to normal normal lives even with like a high diagnosis like bipolar disorder that's yeah. in a very extreme diagnosis of, even if it's type one or type two it's, right. it's a very and that's why they don't diagnose early because it's a very severe right and serious diagnosis yeah. but it's okay to have bipolar disorder and be a successful person yeah and I think that that's more the case today yeah than it would have been in years past and years past that we if we couldn't explain it if we couldn't control it yeah we put it in an institution absolutely and so aren't we fortunate to live in a time where you can have a pretty severe diagnosis and still function in the world yep and that's just a beautiful thing again Maybe not every place of the world, yeah. maybe not every place in the United States, but there are places and spaces where people can still 
function and have successful lives absolutely that's that's just a beautiful thing i always tell my mom like i'm looking at like congress and the government and the amount of people and the ages of the people in government right now and i'm looking and i'm just like well when my generation is the age that you know they can start running and right getting into congress and infiltrating these higher levels of you know legislation and being able to pass legislation that is positively affecting mental health uh lgbtq rights when it's women's rights Mm -hmm. any anything equality in every area and aspect and i'm just like well if it's not like everything happens i feel like in a like in a specific Mm -hmm. way and you can't predict anything either because in a second i was predicting i was gonna be a nurse boom and now i'm going to grad school to be a psychologist yeah so and with that it's like i I just it it amazes me just how like things can change oh and that's that i would say is a lifetime beautiful thing because if you had told me at 18 or 21 that someday you'll be a college president i would have laughed at you i would have absolutely laughed at you then i would have said but that's not what i want to do (laughs) that's not really what i want to do and so I think part of the beauty of the journey is the journey itself and being Mm -hmm. open to what that journey is. And so I think if you can be open in that way and give space to find who you are and what you do and know that it'll, it'll evolve. I'm a different person today than I was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, my core kind of beliefs and values are the same, but, um, there are definite differences. Yeah. Another fun fact. Um, I, when I was an undergraduate student, I was one of the last students in, they were doing a revision of their general education. So one of the last group of students who could choose to either take public speaking or interpersonal communication. And I was deathly afraid of having to give a five minute speech. And so I took interpersonal communication because it's more psychology. Um, and I loved it, but today that's what I do a lot. And so again, just being open to how you can grow, I yeah. think, is so important. Oh yeah, I've ta- so I, I took uh, public speaking with Dr. Scolo here. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I loved it. That's I loved great. It. I wished I had done that. I wished I had pushed myself out. And it's so fascinating because I was a, a musician. I was a performer. Like yep. I had been in performances and yeah. things like that. And yep. it was like that was just a very different thing for me than public speaking was just terrifying. Yeah. And so I again, I would say, anyone listening, push yourself out into Definitely. those spaces to to find what your strengths are to find your opportunities and know that just because one day it may not be what you expect it to be, give space to, to try again. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I feel like the people that plan everything in advance are like the most stressed people as well. That was me. That was, I, again, I, I knew I wanted to do clinical psychology. I knew I needed to do it quickly because I was going to have more graduate school and, and things like that. And I stressed myself out in ways that I did not need to. Yeah. Really, I look back. I remember at one point in time in my undergraduate, I was taking, I took between 18 and 21 hours each semester wow. because I knew I wanted to get through. Yeah. And I also did like several different work study jobs. And there was one. How did you not burn out? I don't know. How did you honestly, make it through? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I really wish I could answer that question. No, I, I was doing things that I enjoyed. But yeah. um, at one point in time, I had three different work study jobs and I was approached about like accompanying a children's choir at um, a local church. And again, I wanted to say yes, because one, a little extra cash would have been amazing, but also because I didn't want to disappoint people. And so I said yes, and then I just could not make my schedule work. It was just like not going to happen. And so I don't even know how it happened, but I think I was scheduled to play a mass at our Catholic campus center. And I called and I was going to tell them I couldn't do it because I had something else. Mm -hmm. 
And the priest happened to pick up the phone and I just started sobbing. <laughs> and I'm sure he was thinking, what is this, <laughs> this student going through? And it was just a, I had reached a breaking point. Yeah. I put so much pressure on myself. And he said to me, you don't have to do everything. It's okay. Yep. And we'll find somebody to sub for you this weekend. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't have to do everything? It's oh like, my gosh. Wait, yeah. actually? Yeah, yeah. So, but that's been, I, I am the kind of person that I'd much rather be busy than not. Yeah. That's just kind I'm of the same way. my personality. And so that's just been my entire life. So. It might be the ADHD that keeps me going sometimes. Yeah. Cause like, you know, I feel like if, I mean, one of the things that pushed me to counseling was I love talking to people. So yeah. I figured if I'm going to do something, might as well get paid for it. If yeah, I'm absolutely. At it, you know what I mean? I was just like, <laughs> absolutely. And, and I heard from countless people that like, oh, you should be a therapist. You yeah. should do that. And it kind of just fits. But then when I found out like who I wanted to target and possibly work with like females with ADHD, yeah. it's like who else would be better at, yeah, you, can you know, helping empathy. them than mm-hmm. knowing what it yeah. feels like. Because a lot of my friends I hear is that a lot of that therapists or counselors they see they don't understand what they're right. going through which is why they don't go back yeah yeah and I, I understand that it can be tough yeah and I do think that unless you really do feel anxiety or depression it's very tough to imagine right. what it's like yeah because for me depression was kind of like a, a black hole but and it felt like nothing but then on the I was able to like think hey the depression was telling me that like to kill yourself yeah. right like that, that's what it was saying yeah. you know but it's like when I look back at it it wasn't me saying it. Right. And I feel like once you get that perspective and it took me years, it took me three sure. years to get like healed and everything. And the hardest part I think was going to my mom and telling her because oh for me yeah. it was like, how do I go to my best friend, the person that created me and tell her that I want to die. Yeah. But I eventually did it. And she said, we're going to get you help. Like yeah. that was what my mom said. And to have a mom, like she saved my life a hundred percent. I always talked to her about this. And then after that I was diagnosed with celiac disease. Uh-huh. And that was when I like lost 35 pounds in six months, wow. but my mom has Crohn's. So we kind of had that bond that she understood what it was like to have uh-huh. a GI issue as well as being very skinny and things like that. And I've never really had body issues sure. in my life. Cause I, I've been pretty healthy being, I've played playing soccer since right. I was four, like always active. But I was, I always noticed I would be the lanky, skinnier one. And, you know, my friends would joke around. It never bothered me. And then I, I get to like where I am now and I was diagnosed with celiac. And then I realized like the entire, my entire life, I was never able to hold weight or anything because wow. of that. Like it was another answer to a lot of my, and yeah. I was started exhibiting symptoms when I was 16 Wow. and I wasn't diagnosed till I was 21 wow. with that. So it's another, cause there's 300 different symptoms that you oh can exhibit goodness. with celiac. So it's very tough. And I, there's, over like there's millions that are undiagnosed oh i'm sure well and again it's all all of the systems connected and the ways in which they interact and if one is off they're all off and and people don't know that like their serotonin and dopamine are produced in their gut yeah and like if you eat like crap you're gonna feel like crap Yeah, absolutely and people don't realize that yeah at all yeah and my anxiety and depression symptoms were the first symptoms of my celiac that really happened and nobody nobody will put like oh i have a tummy ache now like they don't at right. that at all right and then all of a sudden it wasn't until the physical symptoms and I started losing the weight wow and then I got to about I was close to 90 pounds oh and I just I couldn't function it was I was taking seven naps a day I was losing oh my, my hair I genuinely thought I had leukemia I went to my oh. mom and I really did think I had cancer because your cancer runs on both sides of my family oh my I was goodness. only losing weight and bruising everywhere so oh, I was very geez. scared yeah and this entire time it was very like it was during the COVID oh. so I had no friends to go to and wow. I was it was a time where it's like I'm kind of feel like I'm going through this in myself, but like yeah. with my mom, but it's tough to explain to your friends that you're dying when like, how do you tell your friends that when they're not with you right. during this experience? Right. So then when I came back to school for the first time after COVID, 
I was very skinny and that was when mm. our season was canceled, luckily. And everything happens for a reason yeah. because I would not have been able to play because I was not healthy enough. No. But thank thank you to Coach Stu. He helped okay. support me. Like I called him as soon as I started having the mental health issues over the mm-hmm. summer because he was a new coach and I, I wanted to, and me being one of the better players, I he, I knew he expected a lot from me. Absolutely. And me, you know, always being the one that people count on, I was very, very scared and upset. And yeah. I really think I was hard on myself because not how, surprised when you go from mm-hmm. when you go from being, you know, a very yeah. strong, like, female mm-hmm. role model for underclassmen for mm-hmm. your my brother and it, it was very tough for me I so I came here and I, I looked at myself and I was like people are gonna think I'm doing drugs people are gonna right. think that I was doing stuff like over break that I was super sick so then I would have to go out and I, I mm-hmm. put the team together and I told everybody and I let them know what was going on and how I'm gluten-free now and the whole scenario and they like all supported me That's and amazing. it was just it took a while though because yeah. I never had body image issues and it sure. wasn't until I started gaining the weight back yeah. and I looked at myself and I was like I'm not fat I'm, yeah. I'm healthy now right like I wasn't healthy before yeah and that really changed my perspective on the way everybody looks at their body oh. men or women yeah fat yeah. or skinny yeah. like regardless Absolutely. and it made me realize that everybody's body is different so everyone's weight is their own weight yeah it's like my my 120 pound like would not be healthy for my 26 year old brother right right which is a, a very healthy and mature way of looking at it and if you can share that story and make sure that people hear that that's huge huge because, advocate again young men young women old men old women yeah you know all i mean it's just our our society and this is not just unique to our society but our society puts such pressure absolutely such pressure on it that it's really tragic. Especially like exterior, everything. It's yeah, like they it's, just value what you they see and not what they are inside and yeah. what they like have within them. And I'm just like, you can't judge a book by its cover. Right. Ever. Right. It's, it's so tough. It's absolutely so tough. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I, that's, that's something that I have to think about. That's something that I think, again, generationally, it's a little bit different, but um, it's something that I could say. I struggle with growing up and just even now just being mindful of how am I presenting myself and how, how is my health and appearance affecting how I see myself, how other people see me as well. It's just so, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. And if you can step back and look at it objectively, fantastic, not easy to do, not easy to do. It's true. My husband and I were just saying, uh, having a conversation recently about how he has always had great metabolism. If he wanted to lose weight, he could easily lose weight. His, yep. He's age is catching up with him and his metabolism is changing, changing. And he and I are both very active people. Yep. I have not always been an active person. Not a thing. I, I tell student athletes, I was not a student athlete. I got <laughs> PE credit for marching band in college. You're the musician. I am a musician. And um, it wasn't until I was in my, oh goodness gracious, probably my thirties that I found, um, exercise and found health and that doesn't mean I've figured it out and have been fine since yeah. but um, my husband says my body's changing I was like welcome to the dad bod yep and that's okay yeah that's okay and yep. yes and guess what my body's changing too and yep. that's just life and mm-hmm. isn't it beautiful that we are alive to have that experience absolutely and so that's again easier said than done mm-hmm. easier said than yep. done because like you said the woman that you talked about uh, earlier yep. who looked great probably yep. had some work done it, there's just a pressure there's absolutely. a pressure that's just silly 
It's absolutely. Silly. I hear my mom talk about it sometimes, yeah. you know, because my family we don't lose our hair; we go gray early. So oh, like I've already okay. gotten started to get some I like eight or ten grays. Yeah, my mom started when she was twenty one. So, oh. but you know, I'll take that. I'll keep the hair. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, yeah color. Absolutely. It's fine. Absolutely. So my mom talks about it sometimes how she's like, yeah, look, I'm going gray, and I'm like, mom, like eventually you're gonna have to embrace that, and you're gonna yeah. look good. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's not until she embraces it that right. it's gonna look good. Right. Like she can dye her hair any color. Of course. You know what I mean? But if you don't like the color of your hair, you're yeah. not gonna be. You're not gonna shine yeah. the way that you do when you feel good yeah i feel like again there's a lot of pressure on your generation to make things right but i feel like i am seeing more people for example women saying i'm embracing my gray yeah, it's, me too. It's, it's so different you saw dr lawler with like yeah, the half gray yeah. she looks so cool yeah absolutely it's so different today than i think it's been in the past i think about my mother um who dyed her hair for years and years and yeah. years and years and years yep. it's like okay you know, and it's just so fascinating, so yeah. fascinating that I do think that there's so many ways in which our generations can learn from your generation, which is, an, again, yeah. another reason why I love working with college students yep. because I forever have access to people who are going to continue to shape this world. Yeah. And I feel like you get like the inside perspective and the updates. Like, you oh, know, yeah. I feel like you, you're in the know when you're <laughs> I get all my work. news from Instagram. So <laughs> yes, of course I'm in the know, <laughs> not the real news, but I get the news. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was using Twitter a lot because yeah. there's videos that people post on Twitter that yeah. you don't see on, on the news That's and true. stuff. And That's like, true. I talked to my mom about some stuff. Yeah. I didn't even hear about it. Yeah. yeah like she absolutely. didn't know about the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation oh, at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. at all even even before the trial happened yeah. she didn't know about any of the history between so, them and i'm so like really yeah. and she's like yeah and i love johnny depp and yeah. i'm like wow like and yeah. i'm like mom you gotta get on on twitter yeah, i gotta get on twitter mom gotta get on facebook I was like, mom i'm not out. well I, I i'm gonna say i'm not on twitter that's not completely true i'm on twitter i don't i don't tweet i consume a little bit more than yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not a big I'm not a big yeah, yeah this, no. is, this is my form of Twitter yeah like, these great. are my updates every that's week. great that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> the, the podcast has been an idea for years and my that's mom wonderful. was the one that pushed me because I finally had time that's to do great. it but I always have been interested in you know wa like wanting to do something but I wasn't sure what it was yeah no that's wonderful and then I I mean all the equipment I paid for myself after getting my that's new job right so it was new computer new everything no, yeah. nobody helped it was me so that that's I feel fantastic. like that put an extra boost there's ownership there's absolute ownership it's like when you get older it's like adulting things adulting I, I was like talk to my oldest daughter about that all the time she's like mom I don't know that I love this adulting thing. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. But I, it sounds like you've got a good support network. Hopefully. You but know. the 20s are weird. I have a friend that just got yeah. engaged. Oh. I'm going to grad school. I like, Yeah. I, I, I say choose your partner well because that's very important. Um, I got married young. I was 21 when I got married. You're like, you're, that, is, yeah. that is the same as my mom. Yeah. And I think that, again, generational. Yeah. There's uh, something about that. And I think that there's some Midwest versus North, yeah. Northeast. Um, differences. I've got nieces um, who got married about the same age, mm -hmm. like now, yeah. um, who got married that age. And so I got married young. I had my kids young. Yep. And um, I, I think it worked out beautifully for me. But when my students, when I was a faculty member, would come to me and say, I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting married. I'm like, how old are you? 21. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I obviously, it's hard for me to say that because I did. But yeah. Um, I had finished my undergraduate. I was starting my master's degree. It's It, it was a little bit different for yeah. me. Um, and I chose well. Thank goodness I chose well. Yeah. My husband has been just a complete godsend for me in that he has been really wonderful about giving me the space to do the things that I love to do. Um, move I was going to gonna say, it takes a big man yeah. to be able to sit back and let, like, the woman kind yeah. of just take the spotlight, but also still be supportive. Because yeah. my dad actually is just 
beginning to do that because my mom's on the board of ed now so she's oh, going to all these events yeah. and everything my dad's never really done that yeah but my dad is is going you know yeah. he's being a presence and just because he's not saying anything or just yeah. him being there like yeah. just them being there is just the it's biggest huge. the biggest scream yeah. of support no it's huge yeah no um i was raised in a wonderful family wonderful family but very conservative very traditional mm-hmm. family my my dad was a breadwinner. My mom stayed home with us kids until we were probably in middle school. And then she um, got a job and very traditional, stereotypical gender sex roles. And yep. um, it's interesting that my two older sisters are in more traditional mm-hmm. um, marriages and that their husbands are the breadwinners and they stayed home with their kids. And my yeah. younger sister, um, I would say, is it's more kind of like my my husband's relationship and her and her husband and that there's a little bit more kind of balance equality um and again you got to find what works for you yeah absolutely got to find what works for you but my brother-in-laws will give my husband a hard time saying who wears the parents in the family and my husband will say we both do yeah and we do we do um we were equal partners in parenting which was huge yeah absolutely really important um for both of us in fact if the kids wanted um sympathy or the the kind of feeling stuff they would go to, to dan more so than they come to me because i'm like to fix things and so, he seems like a sensitive guy yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely and he really did such a beautiful job he still does that he's just got like a gentle presence yeah. around him whenever yeah. like i say hi to you yeah. and i see him he's like hi it just he's very like you know mellow yeah absolutely absolutely and so we balance each other well yeah oh yeah, yeah. And my boyfriend his name's dan too oh, yeah. which is so funny. It's a great name but he's he's the same way he yeah. balances it out and yeah. He's more of like the big burly teddy bear guy. You know, I'm the little skinny hyperactive (laughs) energizer bunny, he calls me. But he's like intelligent history major. And and I was really looking for a guy that would be able to have like the same kind of conversations with me and just be interested in like the same type of stuff. Yeah. And he is. He's a musician as well. His dad's a professional opera singer. Fantastic amazing like I went to the opera for the first time and I love have you been to the opera I did opera theater when I was in college I loved it I saw Marriage of uh, Figaro oh it was so good love opera I always told my students um that I love all kinds of music I'll listen to pretty much anything I really listen to a lot of different things but I'm not a country fan sorry honestly for those who are country fans I just have a hard time and my husband always says to me listen to the words I can't relate it tells a story nope (laughs) so I'll listen to the songs he'll pull out but it's just not my thing I get more feelings from like a Taylor Swift album yeah like she talks to me and I just I can't relate to the I just can't it's like I feel like also the artist has to speak to you as well so it's like if you can't really find a favorite artist or a favorite song or a anything it's just it's tough to like like it yeah no absolutely your music's your music yeah absolutely but I've always been into it my my uncle's been a big theater guy he worked for HBO for for a while so he's been into movies big movies he always does that love movies he worked on me too favorite movie oh goodness gracious that's not fair I watch so many different movies um, I will do, I will throw back old school because like old school, I had a, a beta VCR that I wore out the tape. Watching what is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, watching Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas and mm-hmm. Kathleen Turner. Old, old, old. But you know that m- new movie with Sandra um, Bullock and, oh my gosh, Brad Pitt's in it. It's like, um, it's not called The Lost City, but it's something like that. Mm-hmm. It's totally like a remake of Romancing the Stone. Yeah. So if you enjoy that movie, then then you'd like Romancing the Stone. My favorite movie is Sunset Boulevard. Really? Oh, fantastic. All time. All time. Really? Favorite. Why? All time. Why? When I first watched it, I was, I think I was nine or 10 and it was in the backyard with my uncle. And yeah. the first time I, I, just watching the movie for the first time ever, 
just the way the way just the story of old hollywood versus yeah. new hollywood but yeah. the whole movie is in black and white right oh, yeah and they still are able to portray that That's new awesome. versus the old yeah but it's also like her performance was just amazing in it oh, like it's, it's like it was it's not the picture like it's the pictures right. that got sm- like it's yeah, just like that yeah. it, i've watched a billion times i have the, the film poster in my room that's fantastic and old movies i've watched every hitchcock movie like, oh i love hitchcock. all time favorite that's, hitchcock oh i'm not gonna choose one because i love them all so i grew good. up watching them actually with my dad loved watching it it's again psychology yep that's why again it's hard to choose he a was favorite. a messed up guy hitchcock oh was. my gosh fantastic <laughs> gotta love that that wicked mind uh no absolutely but i would say that um movies are one way that again you can just try to gain perspective i just love that when i was um a faculty member i so when i was a faculty member we got to do what we called may terms so like three week very intensive but very different not a normal class kind of experience and so um movies music I first proposed a um, psychology in the movies um, and then beautifully I had the opportunity to not do that and I did um, humanity on Broadway so I brought a group of students from Iowa to New York and we saw seven shows in six days and it was amazing absolutely amazing but I I, again that storytelling that is just so fascinating that's why I watch all kinds of genres of movies. My son is also a movie lover. He loves A24. He's like, oh my God, mom, we have to watch all these Midsummer, so good. Midsummer, just Hereditary, so, great. so Midsummer, disturbing and fascinating all at the same time. The ending is beautiful because oh. not a lot of people understood the fact that she now has a family. Oh yeah. Like people didn't That's understand That's what she was that. looking for. All they totally saw looking was for. like the negativity, yeah. the death. Yeah. But in the end, like- yeah. As, as bad as cults can seem from the outside. Yeah. Those who are in a cult never know they're in a cult. Yeah. yeah. For that exact reason. Yeah. Because it's their family. It's their family. Yeah. And who else did she have? No one. Not, certainly not her boyfriend. Nope. That's for sure. Oh, definitely yeah, not. That's for sure. Definitely not. No. So I am also, so when I go, every morning I go to the gym and um, that's the time that I watch either movies or a series or whatever streaming. Yep. That's my motivation to go to the gym in the morning. Um, not the whole health I love stuff. That. Yeah, no, but um, I would say again, as a person interested in psychology, that's there are so many different things. So I love watching. I shouldn't admit this out loud. I love watching different kind of psychological kind of shows, like the um, the documentaries that try to make sense of why people do not good things. Yeah, so I'm the same way. Those crime series or things like that. But but in the the fiction world, I just finished Ozark, the last season of Ozark this morning. I didn't I finish like, the last season. Oh yeah, I'm on my the, the beginning of it. So again, that's where I express my interest in You clinical. finished that today? I did. How are you feeling? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Wait, I you, feel you, sad. You just, just walked into a Monday <laughs> after just finishing our <laughs> yeah, Ozark? Of course. No, I'm sad that it's done. It's like done. Oh and gosh. so... That's sad, but um, again, psychological, totally psychological and yep. beautiful. And then it shows, again, this diversity of people. Yep. And so I don't have to be a clinical psychologist. You should. I don't have to be one because I can express my interest in those things yeah. by those characters are just amazing. Oh, yeah. I no longer look at like a character who's killing anybody like as a character who's killing anybody. I look at somebody who, how did they grow up? Yeah. How, what, how what's was, their story? What was their family yeah, like? like absolutely. If, my friends were talking about this series on YouTube of this guy who catches pedophiles online by pretending to be like an underage girl or boy yeah and you know i'm watching with them and they're saying things like oh he needs to go to jail and i'm looking at this old man like um, he was like 75 and i'm looking at him and i told him all about how like you know a majority of those who commit these acts were abused when they were younger absolutely they were in like and they 
in their mind, they think this is appropriate because yeah. they grew up with this type that's, of relationship. That's their normal. And they looked at me like, yeah. really? Yeah, it's sad. And it's like, they don't know that. Yeah, it's tragic. Which, which is why it's sad when you see like drug addicts being arrested and put in jail, go through withdrawal and then get out and then go buy drugs right, again. It's right like, to it. you should be arresting the dealers, yeah. those who are gi- like yeah. put, giving them these addictions. Like you're arresting a heroin addict they're an addict that's yeah. that's a disease they yeah. need treatment for that yeah absolutely and that's a lifelong thing as well like there's no you're not cured from an addiction right it's no. a constantly it's, working process and work people are always like oh yeah. you relapse it's bad yeah. no a relapse is common it's and it's yeah, okay it's to be expected yep. unfortunately yep yeah yeah oh man psychologist just in general is just one of the yeah. one of those things where it's like there's so much more to a person oh gosh and, Absolutely, and I, and I know my mom hates when I psychoanalyze the family, but like <laughs> I having having two brothers has really strained my perspective on like males' mental health yeah. because when I see my older brother, he's you know politician wanting to like continue in that. It's you have to look good. Oh and yeah, he can be an attorney as well. And yeah. same thing. It's like looks are important. They and what is know, beautiful is good. There's research on that. One hundred percent. And you know, look good, feel good as well. Right. You Absolutely. know, when you're put on an outfit and you're looking yep. good, you're like, hey, I'm gonna go kill it today. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's gonna be what, a good day. Yeah. When I see my brother, it's like, but he doesn't have the confidence. Yeah. My older brother. So I look at him, and you know, he's acing law school. Yeah. But he's still nervous for yeah. the bar. And I look at, I look at him, and I go, Joe this is the one thing where you can genuinely like tell anybody like I'm good at it. Yeah. Like, like you can say that the grades prove it. Like you're getting A's and everything. Like you're one of the top of the class, Mm -hmm. but he won't say it. And I go, Joe, like if you're going to be a litigator, own it, you need to walk inside of a room and eyes on you. Like you need to make your presence known, which is a lot of times I like to do that only because I feel like once you're done with when you've, once you've established like you, yeah, the rest of the night goes easy, yeah. you know, because I feel like a lot of times people have issues are more nervous about, you know, introducing themselves yeah. or, hey, this is me. Yeah. It's like once you get that and especially with public speaking, I was when I was doing student council in high school, that really helped me because I was giving oh, speeches in front of my entire class, you know, so I wouldn't be nervous in any sort of presentation. But I have friends that won't an- like won't order food on the phone. Yeah. Because oh, they're yeah. nervous. Yeah. I'm always yeah. the one that's yeah. ordering food on the phone. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just like come on Joe like you you can do this you you have to get more confident so I'm helping him with that but of course you know I sound like a tough sister but here's the thing you know you got to be tough with your brothers especially when they're older yeah yeah yeah. no I again interesting conversations my my husband and I were just talking to my oldest daughter last night she's a social worker and um she's been doing such incredible work um and she has been recognized by people in the community for the work that she's doing. And so she's been asked to serve on these different boards and things like that. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be there because like I just graduated from college and I feel like I know I'm the youngest in the room. And I said, there is something to that fake it till you make it that just, you just have to own that space. And, and if somebody asks you something you don't know the answer to, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I will find out like, that's okay. Yep. That's really okay. But yeah, just owning that is really important. I've noticed the most intelligent people are the ones that will admit when they're wrong. Oh yeah. They will. For sure. And they'll ask questions sure. and they'll be the ones to say, Oh, I actually don't know that. Can you go on and explain more about yeah. that? Or, Hey, I, I'm actually changing my perspective. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, especially now are very like, they're scared to change their perspective yeah. on things, Yeah. but people, it's okay to unlearn things and it's okay to learn new things as well. Yeah. You have to quite honestly, Every because day. things change. Imagine Everything that. changes. Things change. Like, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about the Mount education is you learn that you need to always learn. That's just part of the rest of your life. Absolutely. And we have equipped you well for that. Yeah. So. This is a great, great, great 
community great campus and it's hard to explain the campus to others that aren't here like it's really tough to come visit you can't put them out into words like as as well as as, like you know the right it is the right place in the river but you know it's interesting when i first arrived here i did a listening tour with students faculty staff and administrators and um i did a one of my questions that i asked was you know in one word how would you describe the mount and then i did a word cloud for different presentations um early in my time and community was like the word, like yeah. the word most often repeated, mm-hmm. um, family. But it's interesting because people are, are saying, you know, we are family, but it's different than your family. Yeah. And and that's important. And so um, community is important. Um, you hear that from the alums um, after mass last Sunday. I come to, Dan and I come to mass on campus when campus is in session and um, mass is in session. And an alum from, I think she said she graduated from the 70s. Don't quote me on that. But she said, you know, I was just talking to the students afterwards about how this place just changed my life and my best friends are from here and we are still in touch with each other. And, you know, this place is just so special. And so it is hard to it is hard to describe. You kind of feel it. But I will tell you again, I learned that via Zoom (laughs) during my interview process. It's just the people. The people are just spectacular. And I really think that that people probably get tired of me saying that that mission and values matter here. They do. Um, so many companies, I mean, every company should have some mission or, or values articulate that. I have been at places where they say what their mission is and you have to really kind of look, look hard to see it. Yep. But when we talk about our authentic inclusivity, our commitment to human dignity and to each other, obligations to each other, we live that in really yeah. important ways. And I really do feel like, um, that comes from our founding. Yeah. comes from the sisters. Um, that, that relational, kind of aspect of who we are is very, very important. 100%. And it doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable. Nope. Doesn't mean that it's, you're not going to be challenged in your classes. You will be challenged in your classes. Yep. But it's high challenge, high support. Now, if you don't want support, you've got to make that choice. You've got to show up yep. and you've got to do it yourself. But there are people, so many people here who want to rally around and support and yeah. see success. One of my favorite um, experiences each year is commencement. It is just the neatest thing. And last year, because of the pandemic, I was able to experience a lot of commencements yeah, um, yep. for the Mount. We had back four four commencements back. for the class of 2021. And we actually had a, a commencement for 2020 as well. Yep. And so five commencements in my first year, not even year, was a, a lot. But it was so beautiful because you know that it's not just for you. You know that it's for your family. You know that it's for the communities in which you're going to live and serve. And it's just so cool to be a part of that. Oh, I'm, I'm super stoked, especially Can't wait. My, my mom, she, you know, went back, got her master's in MBA. She's first generation college That's student. Amazing. And my dad, he never, he didn't go to school. Yeah. It wasn't for him. He yeah. works as a town worker. He's That's ugh. fantastic. We need, who's, who's plowing the roads? Absolutely. Is, you know what I mean? That's who's, fantastic. And he's great at it. Yeah. And I'm going to be the first girl on my dad's side to finish undergrad. Yeah. Um, my brother was the second one to graduate college, is undergrad. And he's the first one to continue post-grad. Wow. And I'm going to be the second and the only girl to do that. So, and now my younger brother. So my, being my mom, she has told me like countless times how proud she is. Because like three, not just one kid like it yeah. and, and I think it's like side, kind of she doesn't mean to brag when she says it oh but as yeah. soon as she says it everyone's like oh my god your kids are smart yeah, and my mom's like absolutely. yeah they, they are smart. they are but like, it, it's such a big deal but like regardless of where you go or what yeah. you do I feel like if 
you have to do what you want to do. You have to do what you love. Oh, absolutely. You can't be miserable. Absolutely. And again, I would just say, be open to that journey because you may not know what you want today or may know what you want today. And it may be something very different 20 years from now. Oh yeah. My brother was trying to be a cop and now he's going to be an attorney. That's fantastic. And now he's going to be teaching here next semester. So you know what I mean? It's like, you can't plan it whatsoever. No. no. And Dr. Lawler asked me, she's like, when are you coming back? I was like, no, maybe in a couple (laughs) years. Fantastic. Because I see like, I could see myself teaching, yeah. but then I could, oh, I could always tell that, like, cause you're just, you're a great public speaker. Like, oh, cause you. Do, you, do you plan your speeches most of the time or do you just um, go off the- It depends. It depends. Some, some, some of my speeches are very much planned, yeah. very much planned, very much practiced. Um, others are in the moment yeah. and I may have kind of a framework of what I want to say, but it, it goes where it goes. So it depends. All right. We're coming down to the last couple of minutes. So yeah. did you want to plug any events coming up or any messages to the student oh body or anyone grace. watching yeah. or listening to Tina's tea right now? Yeah. Well, first continue to listen. There's a lot to be said. <laughs> so thank you for the invitation. Thank to you be for a part being of here. That. Yeah. I would say students study hard. Um, this is a point in time, especially you seniors. I talked to my daughter who's graduating um, that I, I would say to you, as I said to her, don't stop now, you know, hang in. And I know senioritis is a very real thing. And the, light is at the end of the tunnel but you got to get to the end of the tunnel so study hard finish your projects do your do your papers and so forth and and really for the seniors just enjoy the moment really you are moving into the end of such important time um in your life not the only important time in your life but an important time in your life those of you who are not seniors, I will see you back after. Make sure, you, make sure your fast was in. Make sure your fast was <laughs> in. Make sure that you pay your bill. Yep, yep. <laughs> Very important. Because we want to see you in September. No, seriously, that that uh, finish strong. Finish strong is a really important thing. And know that uh, my husband and I are cheering you on. And we can't wait to celebrate you at the end of the semester. And so keep it up it means a lot i just want to say thank you again to dr burns for here being on the podcast my pleasure Even, you are known i know i've heard that it's not your favorite word but i call you Susie b only <laughs> only close-knit and never on email correspondence <laughs> never on email That's correspondence true. i've seen that yes never never <laughs> only because you're one of the coolest like i'll be honest coolest administrators slash presidents people i've ever met like you you. do you you do a great job of what you do and i don't say this because oh you're on the podcast i'm just because no no it's (laughs) a genuine thing like you've done such a great you've been such a great addition to this school and and you see it i see it like everyone off campus we see it and it's a it's a beautiful thing because now i'm excited to come back as an alum i'm excited to come and see the new turf field that's going to be here like i'm i'm super 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 excited to see what else is going to be added to the mount like the fact that there's a conservatory now the fact that there's going to be like and it's only going to continue to grow yeah so i just want to say like thank you for being like doing this for this school because it really is a gem and I feel like more not hidden not hidden not anymore (laughs) not anymore and seeing like the admissions page on Instagram and all the socials and the amount of people that have committed it is a beautiful thing to see the amount like and just the diversity as well absolutely like the the amount because you know we traditionally have majority girls that are enrolled here and seeing the amount of guys that are being it's it's amazing and especially like the soccer teams and all the sports teams getting all yeah. these recruits. It's awesome. It is so, so beautiful. I just want to give a big shout out to Dr. Burns. Hashtag Susie B, right place on the river. <laughs> founder of that saying. But I just want to tell everybody, um, we're going to have our next episode on Tuesday. Um, this one will be airing. Excellent. What's the, what's the date tomorrow? Oh, 5-3. Yeah. 5-3. So I just want to say thank you again to Dr. Burns and make sure everyone goes and follows the Tina's Tea Podcast social media accounts on every platform out there. And... Dr. Burns, if you would say Tina's Tea with me together on three. Thank you for watching. One, two, three. Tina's Tina's Tea. Tea.
All right. See you guys later. Thank you.